I'm Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series brought to you today by Montag Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Montag Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist. Offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems as well as auto steer carts, Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at montagmfg.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-M-F-G.com. For this week's podcast, we're sharing a Cover Crop Strategies broadcast featuring Josh Lofton, Cropping Systems Specialist with Oklahoma State University, as interviewed by Sarah Hill. Lofton will discuss the timing of cover crop termination, differences in termination timing for various cover crop species, improper cover crop termination, and more. Today, I'd like to introduce Josh Lofton, a Cropping Systems Specialist with Oklahoma State University Extension. Josh will be discussing cover crop termination. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thank you. Happy to be here. To get us started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Uh, As you said, my name is Josh Lofton. I'm a Cropping Systems Specialist here at Oklahoma State University. My job in most most facts here is working with producers and uh, production systems pertaining to a lot of our summer crops. So grain, sorghum, soybean, corn, uh, sesame. I also have a fair amount of responsibility in, in winter canola and, you know, kind of the point contact for Oklahoma in cover crops and conservation systems. And I just so happen to have also worked in cover crops, not only here in the Southern Great Plains, but in the Mid-South in a previous position that I held at uh, LSU Ag Center. So have a have a little bit of experience in a couple of very drastically different uh, production systems, but uh, most of my stuff is fo- focused on, you know, uh, integrating winter cover crops into summer production systems. Great. We don't get many uh, guests on the podcast that have that experience with the southern part of the United States. So we're very excited to have you with us today. So let's go ahead and and jump right in. Talk about the timing of cover crop termination and when cover crops should be terminated prior to planting that cash crop. Yeah, and, and that's a good question, and and it's more often than not, it's it's one of the first questions that that folks ask uh, because timing potentially is one of the more critical aspects of the cover crop system. Sometimes even more critical than than the species you have in, in a cover crop, and and it's going to vary. And I I tell most growers or or consultants or land managers that I work with before I can even answer this is you know what is your goal. Uh, what what are you wanting to do with the cover crop system? Um, what we don't want to do is for somebody to say, well, you know, a neighbor or I saw it in a in a meeting and I just want to grow them because uh, that sometimes we get lost in the woods. And that's more often than not when I see folks really uh, integrate this and, and fail to a point that they just don't want to try it again. It's because they didn't have a clear end goal in mind. And so to, to kind of answer that, I I really like to know what their end goal is. Um, however, I, I see most folks, and I, I think the data suggests that there's two really good times to 
terminate cover crops, either well ahead of planting. We're talking, uh, you know, 14, 21, 28 days ahead of planting. This kind of allows for almost a complete termination of the cover crop. That way you're planting into brown. And when we talk about that, it's just, you know, a dead cover crop brown residue. Or the other one is to plant green into a, a freshly terminated cover crop. This is typically done with some sort of a uh, mower or roller crimper or planting in the standing cover crop, which will be also green and then terminating it quickly thereafter. The, I like both of those two. They they both have merit in, in, a, in a goal oriented system. I really don't like the in-between because then you're planting into partially green or partially brown and, and a lot of challenges are associated with those. Both of the ends of the spectrum, either really early or right at planting, um, they, they still offer challenges, but but the challenges are more easy to overcome than somewhere kind of in the middle. I, I, I really like producers to, to kind of stick with one or dedicate to one and say, that's what I'm going to do and, and go for it. Okay. So are there, are there certain cover crop species that a grower has a little bit of fudge room where they can wait a little longer, closer to that planting date before terminating? I'd say I'd say that that um, once again it comes back to the goals of your system and and what you're wanting to do. All of them have the potential to to um, be terminated close to planting, and they can offer various things or various additional um, aspects to that cover crop or benefits to that cover crop that you might not get if you terminate early. The other the other side of the coin is you might be faced with some particular challenges if you if you go real early or you go closer to planting as, as opposed to earlier. The, the one thing you have to worry about is, are you in a system that you can ter- easily terminate a potentially reproductive cover crop? Because the closer we get to planting our cover crop, more often than not, we're looking at, at it either, if you're looking at a small grain, it's probably booted, gone through anthesis, maybe even be setting seed. If we talk about a broadleaf, it's probably flowering by that point in time. And so is our method and our system allowable to be able to do, uh, to terminate um, that effectively? Um, And so I don't think it would be, I I would be very confident in terminating any type of cover crop really close. Uh, It's just, do you have a good plan to do it? Uh, So more along the management than, than the actual challenge with an individual species. Okay. So you mentioned, uh, brassicas when they uh, have gone to that reproductive stage. What are some indicators that growers maybe should be looking for that tell them this cover crop is getting ready to hit reproduction stage, we need to terminate very quickly? Yeah, that, that's a great question because uh, especially if you want to go the chemical termination route, once a brassica has gone reproductive, it, it gets very, very challenging to, to successfully and fully terminate a brassica species. And so most of our brassicas have this almost this two-phase two system to where they're in this rosette phase. This is where they're developing a lot of leaf map material, and it's coming out of this central point, uh, that growth point that's, that is always elevated from the surface and is right in the middle of that leaf cluster. Uh, once, once we've kind of made or, or pushed out all the leaves that we are going to have in that, that brassica, 
what you'll end up getting is the flowering point start being able to be seen in the middle of that leaf cluster. By the time you've seen that flowering point kind of right there, that that is kind of your your point of no return. Um, if if we terminate a brassica before that, they're they're typically relatively easy to terminate. I say relatively because there are some intricacies to that, but um, relatively easy to terminate if we're if we're before that flower cluster shows up in the middle of those leaves. Once you've got that flower cl cluster kind of elevated and you see any sort of vertical growth to that that brassica, um, that's when we've gone almost to a reproductive stage and, and chemical termination gets gets very difficult from there on. Okay, so if a, a grower attempts to terminate a cover crop and it, it's not done properly, what might that look like in a field? Yeah, and, and, and that's a good question because sometimes it's not it's not easy to know you've done something wrong until the planter's going through the field. When we look at residue, we always say, and it's it's very similar, and, and it's kind of something that I touched on earlier, is I don't want an in-between. Um, if, if we've gone an in-between, uh, we're, we're looking at um, kind of a, a very malleable residue, something that, especially when we talk about some of our grasses that got some bend to it, it's got enough moisture that, that it doesn't snap like a dry residue and it doesn't snap like a nice firm uh, residue does. It kind of bends with it. It's like very wet residue in a no-till system. Um, and, and I know most growers have probably gone out there and tried to plant in some wet residue and been like, this doesn't work. That's kind of what you're looking at is this residue that doesn't kind of snap or, or bend or, or it bends and, and kind of mushes around instead of, instead of breaks apart. That's, that's really what we don't want to see because then, then we get um, some hairpinning issues. Um, I, I really don't like a lot of residue that has uh, multiple different canopies. It, it, in, in this, we see that some residues maybe fallen over and maybe is going across the row while some still standing up. You really want a good consistent bed uh, to plant in, whether you're planting into covers or not. And so being able to, to go 30 feet into the field and have the, the cover crop, whether it be a residue or a standing cover, look the same is really important because once we get that planter, we, we really want to go and we want to plant. So um, inconsistent residue um, or, or some sort of wet residue would probably be, be the, the biggest thing that I would say that that would be a th when things have gone wrong. Um, like I said, when, when you start terminating residue, there's challenges associated with both and, and you, you just have to overcome those. And most growers, if you have the right equipment, can overcome those. Even if you've done something wrong, you probably can overcome it. It's just identifying those issues and, and trying to overcome that uh, as is. Okay. I really like how you use that term snapping, because I'm sure that that's pretty easy for a grower to go out in the field and, you know, be able to tell if that residue can snap or not. Um, yeah, and, and you can you can actually open up the door and, and most people will just, you can hear it, you know, you can hear it as you're going through the field is is a, a lot of those, if you got a small grain, uh, you know, or a brassica, those heads or those flowering structures snapping through the field, that means that a disc with the amount of down pressure you're probably getting is, is able to get really good contact. And, and that's exactly what you want. Great. So now talk a little bit about um, how climate and geography affects cover crop termination. Of course, 
you know, if it's a really wet spring, like we've had a few of those in the past few growing seasons, how does that affect when a grower can get in the field to uh, terminate cover crops? Yeah, and it also it also goes back a little bit to to the the thought or or the overall concept of termination. Um, so the the easiest answer to that for a climate or an environmental effect on cover crop termination is sometimes you just get lucky and things winter kill, and and that's you know to to disregard you know the the long term residue there. That's okay because. Um, you know, some of these cover crops are very difficult to terminate. And so if, if you get some degree of winter kill, especially with some of your brassicas, maybe they've accumulated nutrients, deposited those, and, and you're able to get those terminated via the winter. Now all you're worried about is the small grain. That's that's okay. That's That makes things really easy. Um, the other thing on on kind of what you're talking about environment is is what are the what are the systems around? Um, whenever I, whenever I was back in the mid south, we we worried about um, it being too wet in the spring. Uh, we sometimes had to had to do things to try to get water to drain off so we could actually get planters into the field. And in that case, um, having the cover crop out there absorbing some of that water. Um, for the long term can actually help get in there maybe a, an, an extra day or so early. Um, you, you hear a lot of stories about folks that have some wet ground and in their tilled ground or even in their no-till ground, it's a little wet, but in their cover crop ground, it's still firm because they they have it green and they're going to either push it down right ahead of the planter or maybe after after the planter's gone through the field. So so if, if you're in that kind of circumstance, it, it can be one of those to where you might tend to go towards the uh, at or just before planting termination. In, in my part of the world, more often than not, uh, water is, is a, a valuable thing that you want to keep in the ground. And so earlier cover crop termination tends to be preferred um, because we want some degree of recharge. If, if you have something actively uh, consuming and, and using water right up before planting, you're going to need some pretty hefty rainfalls at and around planting to make sure that that's successful and to recharge some of that groundwater. Um, if if you're, you know, terminating right at and you're with a small grain and we're at peak water uptake on that small grain, you might be working at a water deficit for a period of time and and be relying on um, some rainfall events after planting and and. Um, more often than not, I talk to growers about having an exit strategy for, for cover crops is I want to have the cover crops out there and I want to see them be successful, but cash crop is the cash crop. It's what we're focused on. And we want to make sure that the cover crops aren't getting in the way because that's when folks tend to start drifting away from a practice is when it becomes a hassle. So um, yeah. if, if you are in a system that has excess moisture that you're trying to get off and you know you're going to get that springtime moisture, you know, maybe it is time to let those cover crops go a little bit closer to planting. Whereas if you're in a drier environment and you're needing to, to maybe have three to four weeks to bank a rainfall or two to ensure that you have good, good soil profile moisture ahead of that crop, that's something we might want to tend to kind of go to that earlier termination. And it kind of works because in those drier environments, that residue breaks down slower than in those wetter environments that that in really early termination, you might not have a lot of residue left if you terminate too early. Where in the drier ones, you're probably gonna have that there. And so it kind of works with itself on that regard. 
We'll get back to Sarah and Josh in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for supporting today's episode. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist. Offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems as well as auto steer carts, Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at montagmfg.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-G-M-F-G.com. Now let's get back to Sarah Hill and Josh Lofton. So uh, you mentioned that there are some cover crop species that are really difficult to terminate. Talk a little bit about what those species are and and what makes them hard to terminate. Yeah, so and, and a lot of that depends on other factors. It's it's not as necessarily as a straightforward answer. Um, like like we talked about, the brassicas, especially if they've gone reproductive, uh, are are very difficult to to temp, to chemically terminate. Um, especially, we have a lot of folks around around here that just use maybe some extra you know canola seed in as far as a, a cover crop in their brassica and and sometimes those those can be a little fickle with being able to chemically terminate those so um, you know a, a reproductive canola or a reproductive uh, you know turnip or, or uh, radish or something like that can be very difficult to chemically terminate that might be something where physical termination might be your best option Whereas on the other side of the coin, um, I, I find it very easy to chemically terminate some of our small grains, um, but but physically terminate some of the small grains is is particularly difficult. Uh, the other thing you have to kind of bring into the equation we've we've talked about one cover crop species or the or another is mixes. Uh, mixes, I think, is when the challenge kind of gets ramped up a little bit, especially if you have one cover crop that can easily chemically terminate and one that can easily physically terminate. You know, you have to almost pick one side of the coin or the other or maybe have to integrate both in multiple trips across the field. So um, when we get mixes and we get multiple canopies and, and kind of what I'm talking about that is everybody knows if they've had something like, uh, let's say we do have a, a vetch. Um, or a clover paired with a brassica paired with a small grains. Most of the time, the small grains get that really tall canopy and that head has, has kind of fully emerged or in boot stage where you have the brassicas kind of that mid canopy because those leaves like to fluff out a little bit. And then under that, you almost had that clover or vetch. Having those three different canopies gets very challenging um, to, to successfully terminate in one pass. And so... Okay. That's that's when that's when the the uh, not only the the need for more intense management comes into play, but the risk also ramps up a little bit. Now, there might be values to that mix, but but you have to take the risks with the benefits and and you have to weigh those all out. So I think the more cover crops we add into a system that make it past the winter or in this case or, you know, in, in the case that I look at or or can completely survive a, a summer, if you will, uh -huh. um, that's when things get a little bit more difficult and a little hairy to to have just a real simple termination plan. That's when we have to maybe integrate a roller crimping paired with an herbicide application. Okay, so that leads me right to my next question, which is how does a grower know when it's better to use an herbicide for termination compared to using some of those non-chemical methods like roller crimping, et cetera. I think a lot of that depends on what's available. 
Um, I know there's a lot of folks in, in the Southern Great Plains that want to try out roller crimping. Um, chemical termination is, is definitely the preferred termination around, uh, around this part. Um, some of that's due to familiarity, um, some of that due to ease, and, and the last little bit's due to the fact that I don't know of a whole lot of roller crimpers that are just walking around the field. So um, the first thing is, is what do you have available? And sometimes that's enough of a limitation to go one way or the other is ease of use and what you have available to to maybe use by yourself so you're not paying somebody or or maybe it's just what you're comfortable with. And, and maybe you've reached your comfort zone by integrating cover crops that you just want to go out and spray like you would normally do into a fallow ground. And and that's OK. That's 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 a plenty good reason. Um, I, I think that um, once again, I don't I don't want a good mix in between having some brown and some green. So if we can get out and we can go real early, I think that's where um, that's where you have a lot of options open. Uh, that's where chemical kind of fits its best is when you can go that multiple weeks, because depending on your environmental conditions, uh, we've, we ran a, a termination study down in Louisiana, very warm environment, very hot climate can get very warm very early in the year. And some of our cover crops still needed three, four, five weeks to completely terminate. And so um, as you get closer to planting, it gets a little harder to get complete termination before the planter rolls through the field. Um, and, and so I, I always encourage folks to have their options open. I, I don't want a grower to say, um, you know, I'm going to stand on this hill that I'm going to chemically terminate and that's what I'm going to do. If you have options available, use all your tools in your toolbox to uh, fit the best need of what mother nature throws you in the spring or in the, in the early fall, if you have summer covers. Um, but, but make sure you have that exit strategy. You know, if, if the covers are getting a little big and there's, there's good conditions and I can get out and spray, that's what I'm going to do. If I have a certain threshold met, maybe it's too wet. Maybe the covers are still really small. I'm going to wait a little bit closer and maybe physical is the way that I'm going to go. So I don't think there's a, a good cut and dry um, as far as this method or the, or the other. I think most folks are going to be limited on what they have available as the number one restriction for which method they use. Sure. Especially in my part of the world where chemical termination is pretty much what you're going to use because there's not a whole lot of roller, roller crimpers or anything kind of running yeah. around. So kind of on the other side of that coin, are there differences in how termination decisions are made based on the type of cropping system that it is? So, for example, would a conventional grower uh, look at terminating cover crops differently versus a grower who's using strip till or no till? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I can't really comment on, on a lot of that. The one thing that I, I always tell growers that if you're integrating covers, the two things I don't want is, and this is, this is want, this isn't necessarily have to have, is um, I, I don't want you to, I don't want you to till. I don't want you to till to plant the covers and I don't want you to till to, to terminate them. Um, because more often than not, we're using this as an advanced conservation practice, um, or it, maybe you're you're looking at it from a soil health practice. And and if if you're going this far and and you're taking perfectly good residue and you're tilling it to plant cover crops, I think we're kind of taking taking two steps backwards to take one step forward. 
And, mm-hmm. and I think we're losing ground on that regard. Um, and, and I, I, I understand a lot of people think that, you know, the cover crops are, are, you know, regenerating soil or improving soil, but if we have to till to do that, I, I don't think that that's where we want to go. Um, now, f- if, if it's like, uh, you know, are, are we going to do, you know, a, a different, if we're traditionally a strip tiller versus not, I don't know if there's a big decision against. I, th- I think once again, a lot of it's going to fall into into what what you have available to you, and um, you know, kind of what fits into the system based on what Mother Nature throws your way in the spring. That one's a tough one. That one's a, a little <laughs> more challenging to overcome because I I think uh, I think most I most people are either trying cover crops that are a conventional tiller, maybe wanting to move to a more conservation system or already no tillers wanting to move into more advanced practices. And, and so I think there's a mindset towards all that. And, and there's other factors that go into termination that, that are well before, you know, what, what's your traditional type of system. Okay. So talk through a little bit from a, a soil health and, and soil biology perspective what happens in the field as soon as that cover crop is terminated and and what does that process look like yeah and and that's going to depend on a lot on on what your method is um you know if if you're if you're chemically terminating um and you're chemically terminating in in maybe a drier and cooler environment you're you're probably going to see that breakdown um, of that residue start happening a lot slower than if you're kind of in a warmer, wetter environment. Um, but you know what? What I'd like to see is I'd like to see a, a residue, whether you physically or chemically terminate it, kind of lay down on itself and provide almost a mat in the field. Uh, and and uh, from my perspective, I'm an agronomist by training, and and the way I like cover crops being used as a good moisture savings and a good weed control measure. And, and I'd like to see that mat stay there at least until we close canopy. Um, and so, you know, what we see underneath that mat um, is, is a lot different than potentially what we see on top for that to start to break down and, and the biology to kind of get a hold of it. We got to get really close, if not, you know, within physical touching of that soil, because a lot of the soil microbiology, you know, is not going to move to the top end of that, that uh, residue. Now we can have some uh, macro and some mesofauna kind of get a little bit more active towards it. But uh, even, even when you talk about things like earthworms, you're, you're going to need that in very close proximity to the soil um, to, to kind of begin that breakdown process. And, and what I'd like to see is, is once you start to see that breakdown, I, I want to see a good, a good flourishing of the microbiology to, to get that any sort of nutrient cycling you're going to get to get within that, that first um, crop period, because most of our, our cash crop uptake occurs, starts to occur that 30 to 45 days after planting slash emergence. So if we're going to get some nutrients released from those cover crops, I'd like to see them get get pretty active pretty quick, um, while still maintaining that good residue cover in the field um, until we get that canopy closure. So um, depending on what method you use, uh, you know, there, there are some folks that mow you know, go through there and shred cover crops or go through with a flail mower or a brush hog. Um, uh-huh. the, the more broken down that residue is when it comes in contact with the soil, the faster that's going to decompose. Um, and so if we go through there with a shredder or a mower, you're going to probably see that go through and decompose a little bit quicker than um, if you just kind of lay it down uh, with chemical or physical termination. 
Okay. So that your comment earlier about the nutrient cycling uh, leads me to my next question. And that is, um, is there any nutritional nutrient gains that can be made by influencing the timing of, of terminating that cover crop or will those nutrients be there no matter when termination happens? Yeah, and so when, when you're playing with a timing game, uh, you're really not necessarily playing with the timing from a, a, a system perspective. You're, you're more interested in the maturity of the, the cover crop. Um, the more mature any crop gets, even if we're talking about a legume, the more carbon it gets into its system and the more long chain carbons we get. We have a lot of carbon in, in all the plant systems, but when we start moving those sugars and, and getting them into more cellulosic, uh, you know, cellulose, hemicellulose, those, those take a little bit longer to break down than some of our more simpler sugars. And so um, when we get more carbon attached into the, into the plant system, um, and, and we get those into longer chain carbons, the longer it takes to kind of break down some of that residue and release some of those nutrients. The one that we kind of uh, talk about a lot on that regard is, is nitrogen. And, and you look at C to N ratios or carbon to nitrogen ratios, that's the amount of carbon you have as, as a ratio to the amount of nitrogen you have in a, in a plant or a residue that you're gonna deposit into that system. Um, when we're still vegetative, most of those carbon nitrogen ratios are very narrow. When we get a lot closer to the 20 to one, so 20 carbon to one nitrogen, uh, we're, we're gonna see a lot of that nitrogen be broken down and released uh, fairly rapidly. Uh, the, the further we get from that, that 20 to one, if you will, is kind of you know that rule of thumb. It's not necessarily a, a great rule of thumb per se, but it's, it's a good standard rule of thumb. When we get a little bit later in the maturity of that cover crop, especially if we're talking about a small grain, um, you start moving into 40 to one and 60 to one, that takes a lot longer to break down. And we see 60 to one is more like our mature uh, corn stover and our mature uh, small grain uh, residue. Um, that, that takes a lot of, lot of extra umph and a lot of extra nutrients to kind of continue to break that down before we see that nitrogen release into the system. Um, when we get that 60 to one, that's when we start, or the 40 or 60 to one, that's when we start worrying about nitrogen or short-term nitrogen immobilization. So let's say you've got a small grain residue and you're going into a corn crop, you apply what you would typically do in a conventionally tilled or no-till system onto that corn crop. You can see short-term immobilization of some of that nitrogen you apply if you let that cover crop go a lot, lot more mature in the field where um, you necessarily won't see that and might see a, a, a quicker influx of nitrogen earlier in the season if, if you terminate that um, pre-reproductive or vegetatively. Um, the, the other side of that coin is the easier it is to break down, the, the quicker that residue potentially can start to disappear from that field. So you, you're, you're almost playing a, a, um, a, a give and take game a little bit of, I want that residue to, to start to be broken down for those nutrients to begin to cycle. Um, but, but I want that residue to stay in the field to, to provide that barrier. And, and that comes once again to, um, what are your goals? What, what is your long-term goal? Do you want that soil barrier? Do you want that long-term carbon? Do you want that? Or do you want that very, very quick nutrient cycling for this cash crop? And um, not to say you can only have one or the other, but more than likely you will be 
um, better at one of those than the other. Short-term nutrient cycling and a long-term carbon source is really hard to get in in a single system. You know, you 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 either want a really good carbon or or really really easily broken down material like a brassica, uh, like a early season legume, something along those lines, and you can break those down and release a lot of nutrients, particularly nitrogen to that field very quickly, as opposed to a more mature small grain, which has a lot of carbon to it that are a lot harder to break down. So you've stored a lot of carbon, uh, but, but your nutrient release is not as, is not as rapid. Okay. Well, Josh, this has been really informative, but we are running short on time today. Where can our listeners go for more information? Yeah, there, there's a lot of really good resources. Um, we have a lot of good cover crop fact sheets at factsheets.okstate.edu, as well as croppingsystems.okstate.edu is is really good place to see some of the really good uh, material coming out of the region. Like I said, we work a lot in, in uh, using cover crops for a weed management tool, and and that's that's uh, we have a lot of good publications talking about that. So great. If you're kind of interested in that, that's that's kind of the best place. Okay. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Josh. Thanks to Sarah Hill of Cover Crop Strategies and Josh Lofton of Oklahoma State University for this broadcast. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.